You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing minimally invasive restorative dentistry and why it's so important and critical during the COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest is Dr. Juan Yepes, a dentist and physician with an extensive educational and teaching background nationally and internationally. Dr. Yepes is an associate professor in the Department of Pediatric Dentistry at Indiana University School of Dentistry in Indianapolis, Indiana. His research and teaching interests are in the area of oral medicine, oral radiology, and oral pathology in children. Before we begin, I would like to thank our sponsor, Septodont. Since its inception in 1932, Septodont has developed and manufactured and distributed a wide range of high-quality products for dental professionals. Most known for its local anesthetic cartridges, topical gels, and dental needles, Septodont also provides innovative solutions for endodontics, restorative dentistry, infection control, and more. For more information on Septodont, visit septodontusa.com. And while you're on the site, check out their new electronic syringe called Dentapen. Pretty amazing product. Dr. Yepes, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Hi, Phil. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that. Uh, Our pleasure. Our pleasure. And thanks for coming on. And you've done some wonderful webinars in the past, so we thank you for that as well. So we're going to be talking about minimally invasive restorative dentistry. Before we start the full conversation on it, can you define that for us, for our listeners? Yes. Minimally invasive restorative dentistry has been around us for a long time. But obviously recently, um, and mainly because the coronavirus and all the issues related with the aerosol production, so the minimally invasive restorative dentistry moved from the back to the front of dentistry. So minimally invasive dentistry, a quick definition is, is providing uh, treatment without the use of high speed, we, uh, without the use of rotary instruments. And, and obviously, in the context of the coronavirus times, that implies no aerosol generating procedures. We've got the aerosol situation as one facet. And the other facet is you want to get the patient out of the chair quickly, too. Does it save time to do these minimally invasive procedures or is it more just for the aerosol? Well, it's also saving time. And um, and when we, I'm sure later on, we are going to discuss a little bit more in detail, but yes, it saves time. And sometimes what happens, Phil, is there are some situations in dentistry that even if we want to generate aerosols, that special circumstance, actually, it will not let us to go and grab a high speed. For example, if you are working in a nursing home when you cannot really carry a whole portable dental unit with you and it's not feasible to use an aerosol, so then minimal invasive restorative dentistry comes as a, a pretty good alternative. How does one treat caries without doing any drilling? Could you give us an example of that clinically? And also, uh, we've talked offline about the SMART technique, if you want to fill us in on what that acronym means. In order to answer your question, let me I just give you kind of a general background. Um, for many, many years, even when I was in dental school, you know, I graduated from dental school in 1992. It seems to be, you know, 100 years ago. <laughs> you know, the way that we approach dental caries was a, an absolutely mechanistic approach. We will take a high speed and we'll make a hole, which we call a preparation, and then we'll fill that prep with amalgam, composite, whatever you want it. But recently, and not too recently, because honestly, um, you know, many countries in the world, they had been in minimal invasive dentistry for a long time. We changed our approach from a mechanistic approach or surgical approach to a medical approach. What I mean with the medical approach is we are using uh, some materials that we have, 
that they will allow us to apply over the carriers. We know that the carriers will stop and then we don't need to use the high speed. We really don't need to go on and make that prep that we learned in the old days of dentistry. And then over that, we can place a cement. Now going a little bit about the SMART technique, um, the SMART technique is, is, is such an, a great idea. Is the combination of using silver diamine, and I want to call silver diamine our new friend. Yes, in many countries in the world, it's an old friend, but here in the US, we have been using silver diamine for about five years. And then over that, we apply the silver diamine with all the great uh, properties, and then over the silver diamine, we place a cement. And that bonding or that together of the silver diamine plus the cement um, is what we call the SMART technique, which is an, an, a perfect example of minimally invasive restorative dentistry. Sorry, Phil, it took me a little bit longer, but- No, that but, was excellent. Um, that, that was an ex excellent uh, explanation of that. So what are the limitations for this? I mean, not every tooth that has dental caries is, is a candidate for this. So can you elaborate on what conditions uh, work well with this technique? Well, you know, Phil, I'm a teacher. So this question comes every single day. I'm an educator and I am around students. I think so the main frame in capital letters underlined and highlighted is a diagnosis. So before we decide to go and and apply minimal invasive restorative dentistry, or beside, I mean, before we decide to apply silver diamine or whatever we want to do, we need to have a diagnosis. That means that we need to have a radiograph if possible. And also we need to, you know, assess what is the pulp status of that particular tooth because not every single tooth will be a candidate for minimal invasive dentistry or the SMART technique. Let me I give you an example. If I have a tooth, uh, a central incisor, uh, with large decay, lingual, a permanent central incisor, and the patient is waking up in the middle of the night with pain, that means that spontaneous pain is irreversible pulpitis. So definitely that tooth is not a good candidate for silver diamine, is not a good candidate for the SMART technique. That tooth will need to go into a different route. Now, if we have a tooth that is not having a spontaneous pain, we have a radiograph and the decay is not encroaching the pulp, um, and we can and we can have a diagnosis the best that we can, and we know this is no irreversible pulpitis or this is no necrotic pulp, then that tooth is a candidate. So diagnosis is the key to answer your question. Before we do anything over the tooth, we need to have a good diagnosis. So a good dental history, understanding symptoms, along with radiographs, that's pretty much what you go by as far as what's a good candidate. Yes, exactly, Phil. I think so you just summarized. You need to have... Um, you need to have a good diagnosis, which is coming from the history, and you need to have, you know, radiographs, like everything that we do in dentistry, for anything that we do, diagnosis is always the first step. Could you give us some more spe specificity regarding the materials that we need for this minimally invasive procedure? Okay, so we have, it's almost like a toolbox. Imagine that we have a toolbox and we open it up and we have different alternatives. Um, and each alternative will bring a lot of good things. And we need to understand as well the limitations of the different material that we have and, uh, and the indications. So um, we already mentioned briefly silver diamine. That's one of the options that we have. But uh, beside the silver diamine, we have, in this day, we have the dentin substitute. And, um, and one of the dentin, you know, and, and the name is very attractive, by the way, dentin substitute. But when you look at the details of the material, 
one of the reasons that it's a dentin substitute is because the mechanical and physical properties are very similar to the dentin. So um, we have the biodentin, um, as well as traditionally we have the glassinomers and we have the reinforced glassinomers. So we have a bunch of different materials in the tooth box that they will, oh, I forgot to mention also the MTA, which is also part of the box. Um, you know, obviously each material will come with, you know, the, the own good properties and their own good characteristics. But one of the things that is really uh, struck me is, or is, is about biodentin and, and how not just only the physical properties, the mechanical properties, but also the biocompatibility with the tooth, the biocompatibility with the pulp. And, uh, and Phil, you are a former endodontist so, and, and you know much better than anybody else that any material that you can leave close to the pulp you want a material who is as biocompatible as you can. And, and biodentin or dentin substitute is one of these materials that you can place as a direct pulp cap. So you can go all the way and place the material over the pulp. And the study shows that, you know, the biocompatibility with the fibroblast and with the pulp tissue is excellent. Let, let's talk about a very deep filling, a, a deep terrace lesion that's really close to the pulp or possibly a pinpoint exposure. The silver diamine, is that placed that close to the pulp as well? Because you're putting the you're putting this secondary material on top of the silver diamine, right? So, but this is a good time of this conversation to go and define three things. Yeah. So on one side we have the smart technique, which just briefly you go silver diamine, and then on the top of that you put a, a, a material, a dentin substitute could be an option. Let's open a different box that will be the ITR, which is the interim therapeutic restoration, which it doesn't need to place the silver diamine at the first step, you just place the material. And the third box is atraumatic restorative treatment or ART, which, you know, the difference with the ITR is in the ART or atraumatic restorative treatment, uh, the goal is not really to provide a second step. You just fill that cavity with that material and it's unlikely that the patient will come back to the office. It's unlikely that you are going to have the opportunity to follow that patient. That's the atraumatic restorative treatment. So now let's kind of concentrate in the SMART in the ITR. So the SMART technique, you put the silver diamine. Obviously, you have a pinpoint uh, pulp exposure. Uh, silver diamine probably is not going to be the best alternative. You will like to do a direct pulp cap. And again, we have a different options to do that. And one of the options is biodentin. Um, in the ITR, uh, we don't place uh, silver diamine. We just use a material over that uh, cavity and we can put the material over effective dentin. In other words, we don't need to excavate completely the decay because we want to avoid the exposure of the pulp. Um, going back to your question, how close we can go to the pulp, imagine it's no exposure. Um, you can, if you decide to go into the SMART technique and you play the silver diamine, you can go ahead and put the silver diamine even if you are close to the pulp. Sometimes what happens is clinically, and you know this much better than anybody else, Phil, it's difficult to know that. You know, once you are excavating, you really don't know how close you are. Because if you have a pinpoint exposure, then probably silver diamine is not going to be the option. With these different scenarios that you described, in all the scenarios, the patient should be asymptomatic, correct? Before doing yes, this? Absolutely. It's always risky because you can have an asymptomatic patient with a necrotic pulp. Right. And obviously, you need to compare 
or you need to put on your hands on one side the radiograph, on the other side you need to have the patient history, and also you have all the vitality tests right, if sure. you can to yeah. try to assess the pole vitality. But you know, Phil, sometimes when I talk with my colleagues, especially my good friends from public health dentistry, I um I am a public health dentist as well. I you know I am a specialist in dental public health. And what happens sometimes when you go to some places, you don't have the ability to take a radiograph. You don't have the ability to do all the pulp tests because you may actually are on the field. And, uh, and, and in that circumstances, obviously you have a limitation. So you will need to pretty much base your diagnosis in what the patient is telling you. Right, sure. And always, and, and with, with the reason that maybe you are going to do something that maybe is not indicated, but each situation, especially when you are on the field that you don't have available radiograph, you don't have, um, maybe you don't have a vitality test available, you're just on the field, is difficult really. But diagnosis is the key, obviously. Yeah, and along with diagnosis, you have to rule out necrotic pulp. And there's there's plenty of ways of ruling out necrotic pulp uh, without an x-ray, um, although it's obviously much better to have radiographs. So we talked about dentin substitute. Why Why do they use that name? When I, for the first time, I hear about a dentin substitute, I was kind of, what do you mean? I mean, it seems like a, do we have a material that we can really substitute the dentin? No way. But then when I went a little bit deeper and when I really look at the material, what happened is the properties of biodentin are very similar to the properties of the dentin. So um, in terms of mechanical compression, in terms of other physical properties that make this material very similar to, to the dentin, in terms of the physical properties. So that is the name coming, the biodentin is coming from a dentin substitute just because it shares some of the physical characteristics of the dentin. So when you're using the SMART technique and the combination of the silver diamine and you're putting the biodentin on top, when do you bring the patient back to put in a more permanent restoration on the top? Excellent question, Phil. I, I'm glad that you are asking that because people ask me all the time. Um, well, let me I say something before that is important for this podcast because I know we have a lot of our colleagues who are listening to us and I didn't mention something that I think is critical here. Once you place biodentin, um, from the time that you start to mix the material until the time that the material is fully set, it's about 12 minutes. So um, you put the silver diamine, you wait a few minutes and then you start to prepare the biodentin according to the instructions. And then from the time that you, you titrate, I know with my accent sounds funny, Phil, forgive mm. me. But mm. when you kind of mix the material, uh, you need to wait 12 minutes um, until the material is fully set. Then you can bring the patient at two weeks or you can bring the patient in six weeks or you can bring the patients up to six months to complete the treatment. You know, Phil, something that I want to put again in capital letters is doing the SMART technique or doing the ITR technique, you are not really returning the functionality of the tooth, the form of the tooth. And that's something that, in my opinion, is critical because at some point we are thinking that that tooth will need a final restoration to return to the functionality that the tooth was initially designed, which is to chew food. So um, again, you can bring back the patient in six weeks, 12 weeks, up to six months. Biodentin is an excellent material that seals very well, so you can leave exposed that to the oral cavity, obviously waiting the 12 minutes until the material is fully set, and that help you to avoid any leakage into that floor of the cavity, which is what you want to keep dry and isolated from the oral cavity. 
the patient now goes goes home and you decide to bring them back for the permanent restoration, how much do you remove? Do you cut it like regular dentin and just leave a certain uh, amount of material for your final restorative material as normal that's exactly, tooth torture? Yeah, that's exactly what we, we just cut a little bit and then we leave some biodentin. And then over that, you can place a composite and the quality of the biodentin is not affected by the edge. You can edge and then you can bond and then you can put your composite or you can place a crown or you can, or you can place an amalgam and then you finish that restoration with the material that is more appropriate. Now, some dentists feel I'm a pediatric dentist. So mm -hmm. in some situations, I don't do that often, but some of my colleagues who maybe are listening to this podcast, they remember the second step. And that means that sometimes you can remove completely the biodentin and then you can evaluate that dentin that you left under the material. And then when you verify that it's hard, then you put your final restoration, which could be again biodentin and then the final restoration. However, in these days, I, 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 will, I will probably assume that the majority of us, we don't re-enter. We just, you know, if the patient is asymptomatic and we don't have anything that tell us something in the opposite direction. We just leave a little bit of the biodentin and then we restore the tooth. Yeah, from the standpoint of pulp health, that's certainly what I would recommend is to leave that layer of biodentin on top of what you've just done and just remove enough for the restorative aspect. As far as glass anomer, you mentioned that that's also something that could be used as a capping material or in the SMART technique. Yes. What makes you use biodentin versus glass anomer? Okay, that's an excellent question. Absolutely, you can use glassinomer. And uh, glassinomer, you know, has been around us for a long time. And um, it's a material with excellent properties, Phil, as you know. Um, number one, the setting time could be longer than biodentin. And the physical properties of the GI definitely are different from the physical properties of biodentin in terms of compression. Uh, and also probably one of the main aspects of biodentin is the biocompatibility of the material which is superior of the biocompatibility of the glass unomers. Right. Um, however, you know, glass unomers could be also an alternative for the ITR, interim therapeutic restoration, could be also an option from the atraumatic restorative technique, ART, the one that you don't expect the patient to come back, or you can also use a glass unomer in the SMART technique. Before you go into the next question, Phil, um, biodentin also has an excellent quality to kind of mask that black decoloration that the silver diamine will cause if you are following the SMART technique. So biodentin will give you a good seal so you are not going to see that black color going through the material. Yeah, that's a big factor right there. That's important. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh -huh. you mentioned that silver diamine is used more prevalently outside of the U.S. and it's recently gained some popularity here in the States. Phil, I think so. We are ready to embrace um, silver diamine, and I think so we pediatric dentists and dentists in general here in the U.S., we are very receptive to the silver diamine, and we are ready to do it, but we need more education. We need more podcasts. We need more, you know, Phil, I, I don't know how many webinars I provide in the last 10 months uh, or maybe four months since we have the pandemic. And every time that I do a webinar about silver diamine, I get probably a hundred emails with questions. Hmm. How to use it? How to place it? How long I need to wait? Um, and sometimes I think, so we are ready to embrace silver diamine like many of us pediatric dentists, but we still need to get more education because it's a wonderful material that will help you a lot in the clinical practice. Now, outside the U.S., 
uh, if somebody is a little bit concerned about the safety of the silver diamine in terms of toxicity or whatever, um, well, let me tell you, Phil, that silver diamine has been used you know, in some countries for over 85 years. Um, Phil, let me tell you something in one minute. I had the opportunity to spend a couple of months in New Zealand, um, maybe 10 years ago, and when they told me about the silver diamine, my mouth dropped like a, what is that? And they have been using silver diamine for years and years and years with excellent results. So we, we, we will, I'm sure in the way that we have more podcasts and more information around us, more dentists will join in the group of dentists that we really like and we see a lot of good things of silver diamine. Sometimes we have little ones with early childhood caries. Mm -hmm. I have a two-year-old patient who is not going to say, hey, Dr. Yepes, how are you? Do you want me to open the mouth for six hours? Right. You know, these kids will try to bite my fingers. So the silver diamine is also an alternative, a it's medical wrong. management of dental caries. Listen to this, medical management of dental caries that will help me to, you know, to provide some treatment and stop the dental caries and then wait until the patient is maybe older and will be more cooperative in the dental chair. Yeah, without a doubt. That, that's an amazing application for that. So when, last question, we'll wrap up this podcast. When you go in to the tooth and you, you have to do some excavation of the decay, do you do that with hand instruments before you put the silver diamine on or you just add the... So as soon as you see the caries, you just drop it on there. The literature tells us that you don't need to excavate the caries, that there is no difference between excavating the caries and non-excavating the caries. You can just leave the caries as is, and then you can play the silver diamine. Now, this is a personal, and this is not based on the literature. The literature tells me that I don't need to excavate. However, very often, with a hand instrument, I just go and remove some of the soft dentin before placing the silver diamine, but I don't need to do that. Yeah, see, that's what I would, <laughs> as an endodontist boy, I, it would be very difficult for me to just apply that silver diamine on there knowing I have some caries that I could just scoop out of there. That would be- Bill, I'm a, I'm an old dentist. I'm older, I'm older, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> difficult. these are nuances that some dentists just aren't gonna get over. You know, you, you drop the magic pill in there and you don't have to do anything. It's like, as an endodontist, there's techniques and machines that say you don't even have to obturate a root canal. You don't even have to instrument a root canal. There's, uh, I don't know, what is this called? Senendo or some, some other device. Uh, this stuff may work great, but coming from grad endo back in the 80s, mid 80s, uh, if you're going to tell me I don't need to obturate, it's just a little bit tough for me to get over. You got to wait for the next generation to buy that machine. Dr. Yepis, your insight's been fantastic as always. Uh, any last words before we wrap it up? Coronavirus really opened this door of minimal invasive restorative dentistry and when the door open a little bit, then silver diamine jump to the front. <laughs> it's like, sure. a lady yeah. guys, I am the guy here. Yeah, I I think, look, absolutely. Anything to reduce aerosol. If you could not use that handpiece and this stuff works, then you got dentists should be trying it. They should be. Yes, I need it. to, you know, feel something that you need to be clear. Um, silver diamine is not the, the last step. I mean, it's, it's a entering step. It's, it's something that I see as a as something that, I can do now thinking in a final restoration. You know, sometimes I get in some interesting discussions with my colleagues when they just play the silver diamine and then they tell the patient, see you later, alligator, mm -hmm. and then the patient never will come back. I don't see silver diamine as something that I will tell the patients, okay, 
never came back. It's a wonderful material, no question, but it, it needs to be used in the correct way. Absolutely, like everything else. Thank you, Dr. Yepis. It's been a pleasure to have you back on the show. We look forward to doing another podcast with you in the future. Stay safe, take care, and uh, thank you so much for your great insights. Oh, the same for you. Thank you so much, Philip.